Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Two absolutely unbelievable Final Four games that both came down to the last minute has led us to Monday, has led us to the National Championship game of the 2017 NCAA Tournament, Gonzaga, UNC, Gus and I are going to give you the prediction shortly. Welcome to the Screen the Screener podcast where we talk all things NCAA basketball with you. Mike Randall here. Gus Kearns right next to me. Gus, you've done it. Go back to October. Gonzaga, you said it. They're here. Slancha, my friend. Slancha is correct. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks out there. Thank you for your personal choice of consumption of the screen the screener podcast we are manufacturing this final four rundown and championship game college basketball listening road trip on the evening of april 3rd thank you march for everything you gave us we're so sad to see you depart but happy april fools everybody i hope everybody pulled their best prank out there um we aim to improve your commute to and fro Thanks for plugging us into your cars, your headphones, your earbuds. And how about those dramatic Saturday tilts? Worth all the chatter leading up. Both games were. Thank you for allowing Screen the Screener for being a percentage of that positive chatter during the week. We are always humbled, always thankful, and honestly honored to chat NCAA hoops with you and the championship game with Mike and our ever-increasing audience out there. Ahoy out there at M. R-O-U-L-L-I-E-R, Mike Roulet. More rainbows, please. And thank you for allowing me for a little room on the Zags train. And ahoy out there, at Rob Knight 35 Thanks for tuning in. Fly high, Golden Eagles. Salasha, gratulatia, and happy to have everybody tune in. Happy championship uh, game Monday, everybody. Thanks for listening in on uh, Monday to get yourself ready for the championship game. Boy, Gus, that gratulatia has never been more appropriate, huh? You have Shemek, oh. the Burgers, in the championship game on Monday against Old Roy. The drama's there, my friend. We got Goliath. We got David. We got a lot of pressure on NC. We got Gonzaga on a magic carpet ride right now. What else do you want? I don't think much else. And and those Saturday tilts really gave us a whole bunch of drama. You had Shemek running into the locker room because he got smacked in the face by Silva. Yeah, yep. Uh, you had Barry trying to nurse his ankles. Uh, there, there was a lot of things to pay attention to on those Saturday tilts, and we'll try to run down everything for you. Are we going to revisit an old model here, Mike? We are. People love the UNC-Kentucky 10-round fight that we did. So we thought, folks, what we would do is give you a 10-round fight. We'll throw the bells in. We got some drops, and we will score it. By each four-minute mark, like we said, the 20 to the 16-minute timeout, the 16 to the 12-minute timeout, we'll do that for both games, give you a rundown. People love it. We're going to do it. And then, of course, we will give you, with music, our championship predictions for Monday night. But, Gus, I think first we should get to the bracket challenge, the Screen the Screener bracket challenge. What is the update? I'm waiting to hear. Okay, so we wanted to give the listeners some props here. So this is a quick rundown of the Screen the Screen or Yahoo Bracket Challenge. And what a job here out of the listeners. We're going to go for our top five. Position five, David and his bracket named the key. His south region was almost perfect. And he had the opportunity to move up with UNC winning the whole entire bracket. David, it's just like old times. Cheers. Position four. 
our old friend Boogs79 in his bracket this one time. He correctly selected three out of the final four. Well done, Boogs. His bracket is done scoring, but he will remain in the top five. Position three, Joe M and his bracket, Joe, dash bracket. Joe selected the final game correctly. Nicely played, Joe. And his Midwest bracket was clean until the Elite Eight. He has UNC winning it all. Well done, Joe. Position two is Tyler and his bracket, make him believe. Tyler took a few early risks that paid off, and he called the title game correctly. His bracket has UNC winning it all as well. And position one, which has been held steadfast by Coach Matt and his bracket, Jimmy Chipwood. This bracket only has one miss in the South region, and yes, he did call three out of the final four correctly. Wow. Well, well done, Coach. Wow, great job. He will be our 2017 Screen the Screener Bracket Challenge champion. Just wanted to give uh, Coach Matt a little shout. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jimmy underscore Chitwood. Uh, and you can catch up with his work at bighouseanalytics.wordpress.com. He does put some of his stuff out there. So if you want to take a closer look at his, some of his number crunching and writing, you can hit him up there. Coach shared uh, some of his strong research with the pod earlier this year. So thank you, Matt. Totally appreciate it, man. Congratulations on the big win. We'll get something out to you. Uh, we love that so many people jumped in and we had the opportunity to enjoy this like 2017 NCAA tournament together. And Mike, I don't know about you, but like this might be like one of the coolest things that we've done about very like concerning this podcast, like having including that many people and what we're trying to do. Oh, totally great, guys. This is our first year doing this podcast. You know, we love it. We appreciate all the support. So many of you guys jumped in. It's going to be bigger and better next year. Certainly congratulations to Coach Matt at Jimmy underscore Chitwood. We will get you something really nice, Matt. Just send us how you want us to get it to you on at screen the screener podcast at gmail.com. And folks, if you have any feedback for us, please use that email address as well as well. SDS rather SDS podcast at gmail.com. So congratulations. This was cool, Gus. Really liked it. I can't believe that this many people wanted to do it, which is really like humbling. Uh, so we're, we're happy that, you know, there's five listeners that are taking up the five top spots. So that's what I'm really excited about. I'm glad that we get to give them a little love on the podcast, which is really cool. Def, Mike and I have settled on one part of our own personal bracket challenge. Uh, we're going to go with something really simple, which was suggested by uh, one of our listeners uh, at Phil Olson out there. So thanks, Phil. We're going to go with a simple growler, Phil of a craft beer. So if you guys have any suggestions of uh, craft beers that the growler should be filled up by, you know, let us know. We'd love to hear. Uh, so that might, that'll be one part of our bracket challenge. So Mike Randall, time to pay up with a growler. No doubt, my friend. Congratulations. Well done. And again, as I pointed out in our, in our basketball playing through middle school, high school, the only way I can beat you in anything is to somehow come up with some sort of special thing, i.e. the force you to make 10 fishy line bets earlier this year. There has to be some sort of catch in this one, which was a straight up. You wiped the floor with me. Congratulations. Kudos to you. Uh, we will get that growler. Give us suggestions, folks. You can tweet us at SDS Podcast. Like I said, you can email us, SDSPodcast at gmail.com. And also, Gus, I will find you a box of Chocodiles. So when we get those beer nice. suggestions, we'll take a picture with the Chocodiles so you know that I did pay up Gus on this bet. I always pay up my bets. Uh, talk loud, talk aggressively, but always settle my bets. Gus, well done. Congratulations on your win. 
Hey, thanks. I think we got to give uh, a little shout to Lee Busby. I think he suggested the Chocodile, so kudos oh, to him. Yeah. That's really nice. Lee, good job. Yeah, I mean, tremendous suggestions from everybody. So thank you guys for pitching in. We're, we're happy that you are part of the podcast. That That's the one of the coolest parts about what Mike and I are doing. We can include you guys, and you guys contribute. So thank you for the contributions along the way, for sure. All right, and let's, uh, without further ado, guys, let's get into it here. So, folks, we're going to do the 10-round summary fight. We'll get started here in a minute. We'll go round by round. We will score it at the end so you have the real score as well as what we consider the score of the fight as like a 10-9, a 10-8 round, or a 10-10 round. We will go through it. Here we go. Gonzaga, South Carolina, Gus, I can't believe it. Mills Lane, let's go. Now, look here. I expect a tough, clean fight. Protect yourself at all times. Any question from the challenger, any question from the champion, let's get it on. All right, Gus, here we go. Round one. Nigel Williams-Goss starts the game with a pull-up jump shot. A good sign for Gonzaga, certainly, and a sign of things to come. Goss and Karnowski were playing well in this first part for Gonzaga. South Carolina was actually shooting well from the outside when we learned that Dwayne noticed this is a stat that came up, had played 138 games for South Carolina, which is the most by any player in their school's history. That's crazy. Nuts, right? Shemek and Zach Collins, they were working well inside on post play, and you would call this in your prediction about the high-low action and the high-low post play. It was spectacular, and Shemek and Zach were doing a great, great job. Uh, much to my chagrin, Silas Melson comes in for Perkins, bangs a three. Score at the end of that first four-minute stanza, Gus. Round one, Gonzaga A, South Carolina seven. Of note, Sindarius Thornwell only took one shot, and he missed it. So, Gus, the score is 10-9, Gonzaga. All right, let's hit round two, folks. The second round starts, and sophomore DJ Dozier hits a deep three. Collins follows it up with a short jumper for Gonzaga. You know, we're still not seeing Thornwell touch the ball a bunch against Gonzaga's man-to-man defense, and the only play they're running is a foul line extended curl screen on the weak side. Not great offense against the length and and the girth of Gonzaga. Karnowski continues to get touches inside and be really efficient. He's really effective in there. He's really showing his nimbleness and how healthy he is. Collins also banging down low, opens with a hook. That high-low action that we talked about earlier is really giving South Carolina problems because they can't seem to cover it and they can't seem to deny the post pass from the high post. Uh, Melson makes it a second three-pointer in Thornwell's face. Sorry, Mike. Uh, and South Carolina has to be more effective when they get the ball out and push. Melson just killing me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're like he's not he's going to be a non-factor. Bang. Boom, he hits two threes. Bang. You know, you're like, you're like give me a break. <laughs> so obviously, South Carolina needs to get out and run a little bit to get a few easy baskets. Gonzaga starts out hot and stays hot the entire first half. They start out shooting 56 percent from the field. South Carolina decides to try to do something about that. They switch to zone on the inbound play to start, and uh, and then they give up a a Karnowski layup right away as soon as they switch that zone defense. So that zone defense goes right out the window. Uh, Gonzaga, which is actually in the zone themselves, has trouble matching up to get that defensive board and gives up three offensive rebounds. Thornwell actually sits down and has zero points. If you are a South Carolina fan at this point, you are just like biting your nails. You can't believe that you're still so close in this game, and he has zero. Gonzaga continually goes inside. At the 9-18 mark, we will mark the end of round two. 
Gonzaga 20, South Carolina 18. We score that round another 10-9 round for Gonzaga. Yeah, that was a long one. There were no timeouts until that no stoppage of play to the 918 mark. So round three actually is a quick one. Melson with a big block on Thornwell, who checked back in for South Carolina to start round three. South Carolina started the game 7 of 14 from the field. They are now 0 of 6 during this stretch. Gonzaga has four turnovers, though, to South Carolina's one, which is keeping it close. Again, Thornwell, zero points at this at this juncture. Karnowski has six. The bench points are 12 to four in favor of Gonzaga. Very quick whistle, very tor- short turnaround at the 7.30 mark, the under eight, and we are at 24 to 21. Gonzaga still leading, has been in control from the start of this game, so we will score yet another 10-9 round for Gonzaga. All right, let's hit up round four. At this point, it is very clear that the flu or some of the after effects or maybe the medication is affecting and bothering Thornwell. He is not attacking off the dribble, and he is really settling for jump shots. South Carolina switches back to the man-to-man defense after the failed attempt at the zone defense, giving up that easy layup to Karnowski. Uh, Williams-Goss hits another floater. He's really on his game. You can tell that he's a little bit locked in, and he's finding seams in that zone and in that man-to-man. Thornwell misses another three, not a good sign for South Carolina, and another series of offensive rebounds for South Carolina. They were active on the offensive boards for sure. Thornwell gets one of those offensive rebounds. He goes to the line, make two. It's nice to see him make two and then see the ball go in the basket. This would be the change that South Carolina needed and Thornwell needed. Cool sideline reporting from Tracy Wolfson. She says that Martin is urging Thornwell to get more involved offensively. Jordan Matthews hits another three. Good high-low pass from Goss down to Williams. Thornwell deferring when he gets the ball instead of attacking and being aggressive. Very passive with it. Karnowski gets blocked by Silva. Five minutes left. He gets poked in the eye, goes to the floor, holding his face. You're a little worried. You see a whole bunch of people come over. Even Frank Martin comes over to check on him. Yeah, Uh, good. Yep. And there's another three-pointer for South Carolina, and they actually pull even at 31. South Carolina picks up the pressure. Jordan Matthews, it's a three in transition. Now it's 34, 31. How good good was was Matthews, Gus? How good has he been all tournament? Oh, seriously. He's been a a real difference maker for them on, uh, on the perimeter. I'm really impressed with his play. South Carolina gets sloppy with its turnovers. Collins has a block inside, and then to Goss, and then they're they're up. Thir- uh, Gonzaga leads 36-31. Thornwell makes a three on the break. He needed those free throws to go in, so he could see one go in. So he finally gets rolling. Now it's 36-34. Gonzaga scores one more time. 38-34. Gonzaga uh, Collins rebound takes away from Thornwell. 40-36. Collins gets another block on a dunk attempt. 135 left, under four timeout. Gonzaga is up 40 to 36. We just got, we need to score this one. Another 10-9 round for Gonzaga. So we head to round five, the end of the first half. This is a short one again because there were not a lot of stoppages of play. Shemek goes to the locker room early, only about a minute, minute and a half left. Wolfson reports that he's going to be fine, which is a big sigh of relief for everyone, including myself, because you want everyone at their best here. Absolutely, yeah. Goss with a a pull-up, a tough pull-up in the lane. 42 points now allowed by South Carolina in the first half is the most in the entire tournament that they've allowed. 
Matthews yet again with a three on the break. 45-36-6. Gonzaga is up nine. Timeout Martin took at the 34 seconds left in the first half. Melson makes a three to end the half, but it's after the buzzer. I think that was a Mike. That was Ra- a great shot, wasn't it? I think that was a Mike Randall sticking in your face. <laughs> right, three is yeah. what it was. Uh, it's forty-five thirty-six. Gonzaga's up nine. It's another ten-nine round for Gonzaga. Thornwell is averaging twenty-five point eight points per game. He has five in the first half. He's averaging fifty percent from the field in the tournament. He's one of five from the first half, and he's forty-two percent from three-point range. And he's only one of three. South Carolina's shooting thirty-seven percent from the field. Gonzaga's defense has a lot to do with that. Gonzaga's shooting fifty-eight percent. Uh, both teams have made three-pointers. Gonzaga's rebounding is leading South Carolina 21-15. to 15. South Carolina does have eight fast break points to Gonzaga's zero, and that's a little prelude there for North Carolina because I think North Carolina has to try to run on them. South Carolina is plus 54 go, though, Gus, in the second half scoring margin in this tournament, so therefore they do have a shot. But we'll go to the halftime scorecards. Gonzaga is up 50-49 to 49 on our scorecards. They are up 45-36 in the game. Gus, thoughts on the first half? So my my thoughts on the first half obviously are that the game is being played at Gonzaga's pace. Uh, So if you're a Zag fan, you're looking at the pace of play and the number of points scored, and you're thinking like, okay, this is exactly what Gonzaga wants. We want it to be up and down a little bit more. Like we don't need to necessarily value the possessions. We want the ball in our hands more for our shooters and for our playmakers. So if you're a Zags fan, you're looking at this halftime score thinking, I can't remember the last time South Carolina gave up this many and a half, and I can't believe we're shooting the ball this well against the second-rated Ken Palm defense uh, for defensive efficiency. So if you're a Zags fan, you're feeling pretty good, but like you mentioned, South Carolina had a penchant for coming back in the second half in this tournament, so you could, as, as comfortably as you could be sitting, you still had, a, a, you still had some doubt. Yeah, I, I, I was sitting there saying Gonzaga has controlled this game from start to finish. Thornwell, listen, the defense was great on Thornwell, so don't take anything away from Gonzaga's defense. I'm not trying to do that. But definitely he was not, even Grant Hill mentioned, and he's not attacking off the dribble. He was not even looking to the basket. He would catch the ball. If he was wide open, he'd shoot it. If he wasn't, he was passing it. And Silva and Dozier and these guys... They need Thornwell to get going. I thought he needed to get some plays going, Frank Martin. This curl screen was just not working. How about you run Thornwell off the block, off a staggered screen to the wing? How about you do a screen the screener for him? Steal our, our title right. of our podcast. Exactly. They needed to get something going unless he wasn't feeling well, which is possible. Martin mentioned at halftime that he thought he was under the weather. That definitely was affecting him, but take nothing away. Goss was great. Shemek inside. You knew Shemek's going to be okay the way they were talking about it. He put goggles on him or something and come back out. And right. Zach Collins was a difference maker. Zach Collins was playing very well inside. He was causing problems. I felt at this point, Gus Gonzaga in total and complete control of the game. One more thought on my end. I just felt like, especially with Thornwell, whether it be illness or not, and I'm sure more would come out about this later, they're not going to... South Carolina and Frank Martin and Sundarius don't seem like the type of program and... and the type of people that would come out immediately after the game and give an excuse. No, definitely not. No. So if that information comes out, you know it's going to be like a week later where they're going to be like, yeah, we had to give them like two IVs like leading out to the game. <laughs> like that, that, that's, that's the type of situation that they're in. But here's what I thought. I thought that they just had to work so hard on every single one of their possessions. This is South Carolina. That that really taxed them in this like yes. late 
part Definitely. of the first half. Well said. And I yes. felt like that. Yeah, I felt like that was just like they just had to work so hard around screens. The length and and the girth inside of Gonzaga really took uh, really made a difference on them. So I, I feel like their you know defensive efficiency and, and and their strengths were really playing into how South Carolina was running their offense. But kudos to Frank Martin because he did make the adjustments at halftime. He did, and and it was just, the, the high low action was killing it. it just, Few is such a great coach because they were executing Gus. They were yeah. getting Shemek the ball on the block. They were running cross screens. They were running high low. You could see they were trying to feed the post. If they couldn't feed the post, the opposite post would flash. Shemek would spin inside. They'd dump high low. It was a beautifully executed offense. South Carolina was aggressive, but Gonzaga had control totally. Yeah, that diagonal flash really paid big oh, dividends for them Huge. Um, in the first half. And then uh, did you know – I mean, I know obviously this was very apparent to every viewer, but there was no possession where Gonzaga had it in the post where they were rushed. Correct. Yes, well said. Excellent. So, I feel like they were so well coached. Perfectly. Like they knew, like they knew they were going to get attacked. Right? They knew that like South Carolina was going to come and be really physical with them. They knew that the double was going to come from uh, across the lane, and there's going to be a swipe down. And, and like they knew that was coming, but at the same time, they really took their time. Yes. And they were really deliberate with their post moves, whether it be like the high-low action that we were talking about or Shemek just really taking his time with his footwork down low and Zach Collins like just doing his thing down there. I felt like that that, that part really showed off like the coaching staff's patience and tutelage because they looked very prepared for what was coming. Perfect. Well said. Let's hit round six. So, Gus, we start the second half. Shemek with another basket and a rebound, so we know that he's fine right away. Again, South Carolina hang on the fact that they put 65 up against Duke in the second half, and they're going to need a lot of that in order to get back in this game. Thornwell has a foul line jumper off that weak curl screen. Hallelujah. So maybe, yeah, he's, there it is. maybe he's getting going. Goss, there it goes. Goss hits a three off a post feed to Shemek that South Carolina doubles. Only noteworthy there, South Carolina had not doubled the post the entire time. So they finally started doing that. That opens it up for Goss. Uh, Thornwell back with two free throws, makes one off a screen. Uh, screen and roll. He's the only person who can score inside, it seems like. I wonder why they don't put Thornwell on the post more often in this situation. Collins and Shemek, everyone else is having trouble, but they keep going inside to them. The pace gets picked up a little bit. Some fast breaks. 52-41. Gonzaga up 11. Again, we'll give this to Gonzaga. A 10-9 round. Let's go to round seven. At the under 16 mark of the second half, Gonzaga is up 52-41. to and against the zone, Shemek and Zach Collins do their high-low thing. Even though when it doesn't work, they still manage to get off a good shot and a solid possession. Uh, Shemek does pick up his third foul at the 14:45 mark. And since five minutes remaining in the first half, South Carolina is three of 13 from the field with four turnovers. So like we talked about at halftime, they're really struggling, and they really have to work hard on each one of their offensive possessions. Collins again alters a shot. South Carolina gets a ba- uh, gets a basket in transition. Collins scores again in the paint, and Gonzaga stays with the zone. Gonzaga goes man to man on an underneath dunk off the inbounds play by South Carolina. So they're switching up their defenses, trying to keep South Carolina and Frank Martin guessing. Goss gets the ball on a baseline screen and rolls with Collins. South Carolina goes half court trap with about 12 minutes left to mix it up. So. Coach Martin counters Coach Fuse, uh, mix-up defense with a half-court trap. You love to see the coaching maneuvers here. This game was so well coached on both ends. 
Collins gets a big offensive rebound, and Thornwell is not getting the ball still. They're really doing a great job matching up with him athletically on the perimeter. Collins comes back with another big block, and Matthews hits another three. Gonzaga goes up 13 with 12 minutes left, and you are feeling like the tide is turning the Zags' way and that South Carolina is just going to struggle the rest of the way to score. Goss hits a three, and Gonzaga goes up 14 with 14 I'm sorry, with 11.30 left, the biggest lead of the game for Gonzaga. At this point, South Carolina is 6 of 16 from three-point land, and Gonzaga has hit eight threes. Nigel Williams-Goss goes for an N1 in the under-12 timeout, and Gonzaga is up 13, 64-51. Of course we're going to score this round, Gonzaga 10-9, and you're just feeling the momentum going the Zags' way. But Mike Randall, wait. So we hit round eight, and I feel like they switched to Southpaw in this round like they did in Rocky. Yeah. Under 12 timeout, South Carolina is 39% from the field. Gonzaga is 55% from the field. South Carolina is 10-0 on fast break points. South Carolina is 10-0 on fast break points over Gonzaga, however, Mm. and that's what they have to go to. Just to reiterate, Thornwell, nine points at this juncture. Goss has 22 points. Goss made that free throw in the end when Gus puts him up 14. Goss has scored 9 of 11 Gonzaga points, and now South Carolina back against the wall switches to Southpaw. Collins gets his third foul on an N1 by Chris Silva. Shemek comes back in for Collins. South Carolina goes full court pressure. DJ Dozier played very well in this game. Whenever they needed a basket, he came through and made it. South Carolina, after he makes one, is down 9 under 10 minutes left. Gonzaga starts going back inside the Shemek. Why wouldn't you? But he can't convert this time. Three in transition by South Carolina. Gonzaga's now only up six. Timeout for Mark Few. Small victory for South Carolina there. South Carolina's in an 8-0 run in the last minute. Williams gets blocked on a shot out of the timeout. Carolina fast break. Dozier pulls up, which closes the lead to four with nine minutes left. South Carolina's half-court defense is stifling Gonzaga now. Offensive foul by Jonathan Williams. Little sketchy, Gus, to be honest. Drawn by Thornwell. South Carolina is shooting now 60% in the second half. Gonzaga is fouling them, and they are now in the bonus the rest of the way. Thornwell takes a quick break. He goes out. No, Thornwell doesn't stop them. Offensive rebound for South Carolina. Puts it back in. Gonzaga now only up two with 8.29 left. South Carolina on a 12-0 run. And after a putback, after two blocks, when they got the ball back, South Carolina ties the game with the under eight minute timeout. We got to give this one a 10 8 round to South Carolina. They have tied the game. Game on, Gus. I'm going to jump in really quickly uh, before we go to round nine. Frank Martin did a masterful job getting Thornwell out right before these TV timeouts to get him that very extra true. beat of yep. rest. Yes, very on, true. Again, we talked about the coaching moves and how unbelievably impressed we were that was just another one that we noticed along the way he did it two times in this game to make sure thornwell was well rested for critical stretches of the game on to round nine felder to the basket two free throws makes both of them south carolina actually goes up to 67 65 with 630 to go critical time for gonzaga what do they decide to do are they going to man up are they going to fold up shop what is going to be the reaction from this number one ranked team? Zach Collins makes a horrific back <laughs> rim brick three-pointer. It was, but it went in. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the shot clock was winding down. 
good recognition by the you know by the frosh big man to just put it up and get something on the rim and he just happened to find the bottom of the net on that one and that puts gonzaga up for good 68 67 huge shot by the freshman collins then off a nigel williams goss miss uh off a miss nigel williams goss penetrates and hits shemek in the short corner for a dunk and gonzaga actually goes back up three so you're waiting for the reaction there's the reaction by gonzaga uh, a kind of a, a broken broken play on the three made by Collins, and then uh, you know a typical Gonzaga play with Nigel Williams Goss going ahead and penetrating and finding Shemek for a dunk. Shemek makes another layup. Timeout, South Carolina. So Gonzaga responds immediately with a 7-0 run right here. That is what a championship team does when they their backs are against the wall. They do not fold. They do not close up shop. They go ahead and respond right back. And that 7-0 run told you everything you needed to know about this Gonzaga team. We scored this round 10-9 Gonzaga with Gonzaga up 72-69. And here's round 10, the final stanza of a fantastic semifinal game. Thornwell had his best move of the game, catches at the foul line, lefty dribble, spin, drop step, and puts it in. It's 72-69, Gonzaga up three. Jonathan Williams makes two free throws, easier said than done, not a great free throw shooter. Then Johnny on the spot. Uh, P.J. Dozier makes a big putback. Every time they need a basket, Dozier was there. I can't believe he's only a sophomore. Silva makes a free throw, and it's 77-72 with under two minutes left to go. Here we go. South Carolina has got to get a stop. They're down two. Then there's this absurd five-minute stoppage of play here, which killed momentum. I will talk about that later on a ball that was knocked out of bounds. We'll get into that. However, afterward, Felder to the basket, and guess who? Zach Collins alters the shot. He's been tremendous. I think he was everywhere. Him and Goss were the MVPs of this game. After a series of misses and Zach Collins blocking Thornwell, by the way, and altering numerous shots inside, Gonzaga gets the rebound, 36 seconds left, and South Carolina chooses not to foul. I thought this was crazy, Gus. We'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's an 11-second difference between the shot clock and the game clock. There's 36 seconds left, and they're down three. So if you stop them, you still need a three just to tie. I did not like that move. I thought it was bizarre. Anyway, they play D. Goss takes a shot. He's short. Another long review of the out-of-bounds call. Just totally unnecessary. Now, South Carolina should go for two quickly. There's about 12 seconds left. I put it on Twitter, especially with Gonzaga missing some free throws in this game. But they wait, and they wait. And then few. You know what, and, and I wasn't sure about this, but I watched it again, Gus. Perkins did not foul Thornwell on purpose. Perkins fouls Thornwell on a hand check. I can tell you it's not on purpose because then he jumped on the head fake that Thornwell gave him. So basically, with about five seconds left, Thornwell gets fouled before he can shoot a three. So they're down three. Thornwell goes to the free throw line, and he makes the first one. Now, he must miss the second one, and I saw that you put this out there. It was a tremendous miss because it, it – like- if you want to miss from the foul line, like what else do you want? He he got it off, and it wasn't like one of these like clunkers where it went off the backboard. Like it was a live ball where they could have tipped it out for a three. No, but the only problem is that's not the way to miss it there. Not when yeah. Gonzaga has Tilly and Collins, who are two seven footers. You don't want the ball to drop directly in front of the rim. So yes, I agree with you. That was a perfect miss because he really had control of the ball. But in that situation, when the other team has two seven footers standing right by the basket. The ball's got to ricochet out. You can't just kill it on the backspin and drop it because what happened? Tilly got the rebound. Freshman goes down, makes two huge free throws for a freshman, by the way. Yeah. You know, puts him up. 
for four. Dozier comes down, misses a three. Gonzaga wins that last round 10-9. Gus, they win the game to go to the championship 77-73. And the final score on our scorecards, Gonzaga wins 98-91. What a semifinal game. It was a little bit outrageous how good it was because you felt like it was going one way when Gonzaga got up 13-14. and 14. And then South Carolina just showed you what they were made of with this whole entire tournament and basically this whole entire season, with or without their best player, Sanderis Thornwell. Uh, they did not necessarily need him to act like a Superman. That team really showed you what they were all about. They showed you what Frank Martin preaches every single day in practice and every single day in that program. It's just like, look, w- this team may be longer than us. This team may shoot the three better than us. This team may... Have better, have more skilled players on the perimeter than us. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to grind our teeth and grit this out. We're not going to give up this game. And that's exactly what they did. They brought it all the way back, and they actually had a two-point lead at 67-65 with uh, with the game in balance. And then you saw Gonzaga do exactly what you wanted Gonzaga to do the past 18 years that you followed this team: is man up, make big plays. Put the ball in the hands of your playmakers and trust them to do so. Nigel Williams-Goss, great pass to Shemek. Uh, uh, the freshman, Zach Collins, the, the, the McDonald's All-American, hits a big three, even though it was a little clunky. And give it to your guys. Let them make the plays. That's exactly what Gonzaga did. Like, I, 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 you couldn't ask for a better game here as far as I'm concerned. Both teams played at, absolutely at a top-shelf level. So impressed with both teams and really impressed with both coaches and the and the shifts and, and the adjustments that they made throughout the game to try to counter each other. Really, really exciting to watch. Yeah, great game overall. A couple quick things. I got to get on this now. Gus, I got to do something about these these delays. I, I mean, yeah, it's they're, tough. They're, so tough. You're, you're killing the flow. You're killing the momentum. Guys, what happens is you go to the monitor and we're sitting there and we hear right away from Jim Nance that it's obviously out of bounds and let's say it's South Carolina's ball. <laughs> right, right. And we can see it. And the problem is it's three minutes later. There needs to be a guy like in the NBA and C caucus who just Very te- good. who just yes. tells them like he can be the father ref. He can be the oh like enough. They have their finger on this dial gust that goes around in circles. Enough. Enough. Just tell them in the headset, guys, South Carolina ball, period. End of story. Like we right. can see it. Everyone at home can see it, and they're sitting there for three minutes. It kills the momentum, and they go to it for the silliest things. Guys, this is not whether a three-pointer to win the national title went in or not. Enough. Like, I, I'm sorry. It's just frust- I don't think it affected the game at all, but I'm just – it's very, very frustrating. A um, couple things for South Carolina. Yeah. 37.9% from the field. Gonzaga's defense had a lot to do with that. Absolutely. Uh, Dozier, I thought, was the best player on the floor for them. 7 of 16. Had hit a three, 17 points, nine rebounds for them. Silva did a nice job inside with a double-double, 13-13. Thornwell fought his way to 15 points. Flip side for Gonzaga, 48% from the field, tremendous job. Uh, 76% from the free throw line, not great, but certainly solid. They made nine threes. Williams got 23 points. How he's not a first-team All-American, Gus, I have no idea. Shamick was great, 13 points, settled them early on. And Zach Collins with 14 points and 13 rebounds, six blocks, played like a man. Gonzaga six blocks six blocks Gonzaga deserves it they deserve to be in the finals well done great great job wow uh here here's my you know I'll, I'll tie a little bow on this for everybody uh, number one I totally agree with the stoppage of play yeah can we please get a sea caucus situation here for the NCAA where we just have a ref looking at the same videos that we're looking at at home 
and then he can somehow get on the horn and tell these guys, look, it's obviously Team X's ball. Let's move on. So we don't have to spend five minutes. I mean, as much as I like listening to Nance, Raph, and Hill, I mean, those guys are great. I, I don't mind spending five extra minutes with them. That's fantastic. But I think for everybody else that's like just trying to move the game along and wants to get a result, like, let's let's go. Let's roll. Second thing, I agree with Dozier. Dozier's like a true New York City point guard. He showed his toughness. And, I mean, Nigel Williams-Goss, like, I, I know that he got, you know, he got kind of got his – I don't know. Let's let's just be polite about it. He got his derriere handed to him by West Virginia. He totally showed up in this game and balled out a big time way. So anybody that's doubting what type of player he is or what caliber of player he is, he I think he silenced all his critics. And and you gotta love. Uh, I love when Shem went ran into the locker room and just came right back. He's like, yeah, you're gonna have to do more than that to stop me or keep me out of this game. Right, so I love that his seriously. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on. You're going to you're gonna have to hit him like five more times like that. I mean, what are you doing? Well, there you go. So we got the first game in, and Gus, let's go right to the next fight. fight. This is a fight night here. We'll go right into Oregon, North Carolina. We'll skip Mills Lane. Let's just get to the bell. So, Gus, this was the one that we both had trouble with, really struggled with handicapping it. Here we go. Mm-hmm. It start, the game starts, and Justin Jackson's on Dorsey, and Pinson is on Brooks. Interesting. Uh, Dorsey was the hot player, but of course, Brooks has the respect of second team All-American. Gus Brooks had a horrific game, so much so that I can tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if they came out a picture of him in a hot tub with a man named Richard the Fixer Perry after this game, because just bizarre (laughs) things that he has not done. He has an illegal screen called 18 seconds into the game, and it's really a bellwether of what type of game he would have. Gus, it was a pointless foul. It was like at the foul line extended. It was not, it was ridiculous. He just walked into the guy and shoved him. Very odd. Uh, Joel Berry hits a three to start the game. That makes us all think certainly is going to be closer to 100%. Hicks goes in transition, blocked by Jordan Bell. Sun rises in east, sets in west. Uh, <laughs> Love Jordan Bell. Dylan Brooks throws the ball away for yet another turnover. Carolina is hitting the offensive rebounds early. They have 15.7 offensive rebounds they average per game, which leads the country. And they are 16-0, and 0, which is a stat that we get when they have offensive rebound points, second chance points of 20 or more. Pritchard attacks Berry in transition, gets Oregon's first basket. Pritchard then hits a three. Pritchard is going to play a very big role in this until he got in foul trouble. Correct. Coach Altman subs out Brooks for Big B Williams at the 17-minute mark. Really? Mr. All-American is sitting down after three minutes? I just think that tells you that something's odd there. Offensive rebounding, Meeks is all over the boards, leads to 9-7 to lead for North Carolina. Bell scores again with a floater with his one-handed shot, and the lane makes it 9-9. Oregon goes to a matchup zone now, and after a turnover, Pritchard stops Justin Jackson for a layup on a fast break, but it's a terrible move, Gus, because it's his second foul. So before we hit that under-16 timeout, Pritchard's got to sit down with two fouls. They have Benson, but there's a reason Pritchard's starting, and he also started off hot. Score is 10-10. It's, uh, score is 9-9. It's a tie. So we will score this one 10-10. All right. So round two, slowest round of the game. Sorry, listeners. Slow, limited scoring here. At 13-40, Oregon and North Carolina are – North Carolina shooting two of 11 from two-point range. They're really having trouble putting the ball in the basket not necessarily due to Oregon's defense, but I think everybody's a little bit out of sync for playing the second game. And if we look back in history, the second game of the Final Four always starts off a little bit slow, and this this game is obviously following that same script. Joel Berry misses a long three, and then Justin Jackson 
uh, misses a long three. So they're bombing it from where they normally bomb it from with very little success here. Luke May makes one or two free throws, and it's 11-9 to nine North Carolina. At the 1240 mark, Oregon has not scored in the last three and a half minutes, and Benson is fouled on a three-pointer and makes two or three. He was fouled by Luke May, and guess what? The hero from the Elite Eight game, Luke May, now has two fouls. He's going to hit the bench. Oregon rebounding well on all fronts as a team. The score is 11-11 to at the under-12 timeout. Not a lot of action here, so we're just going to give this a 10-10 score. Again, 10 for UNC, 10 for Oregon. So we hit round three, Gus. At the 11-minute mark, Oregon has seven turnovers and North Carolina has zero, yet the game is tied 13-13. So if you're an Oregon fan... Very odd, very odd. you got to be encouraged by that. Carolina is only 4 of 18 from the field, but they have a ton of offensive rebounds. Brooks get a steal, misses a layup, shocker, but Smith tips it in for his first basket in or- uh, for Oregon in five minutes. Bell makes a short one-handed floater again. He hasn't missed those all game or maybe even all tournament. Justin Jackson back in a blink of an eye with a three-in transition. One of the few transition baskets that UNC has gotten so far. Dylan Innes, who took almost every shot in this game, with a third long three. He's taken three very long 25-foot threes that he has missed. A lot of shots for Innes here. Luke Mays guarding Brooks, but they can't get him the ball. When they finally do get him the ball, he travels. The bizarre Brooks game just continues. Travels one-on-one against Luke May. The Oregon zone, like you said, very effective in the half court against UNC. A Benson open three gives Oregon a 20-18 to lead. Let's do a tail of the tape real quick. UNC is 6 of 23 from the field. Oregon has eight turnovers, and the Ducks are somehow out-rebounding the Tar Heels 15-10, to but a lot of those rebounds for North Carolina are offensive. Tyler Dorsey, by the way, zero points. The score here is Oregon 20, UNC 18. We'll score at Oregon 10-9. All right, round four starts just as the rest of the game has gone. For Dylan Brooks, he misses a three. Joel Berry dribbles it out of bounds, and both star players seem to be way out of whack and not playing well. Dorsey finally gets to the basket. Brooks tips in his miss, and Oregon is actually up 24-18. to Innes hits one of those deep threes in transition to put Oregon up 27-22 and then does it again a minute later to give North Carolina its biggest deficit of this entire tournament, and the Ducks are up 30-22. to And at the 3-43 mark of the first half, Oregon is now finding itself up seven on UNC. Of course, we score that round 10-9 Oregon. We go to round five, Gus. If if you're going to beat UNC, you can't have these mental mistakes. And Peyton Pritchard made another one. He checks back into the game with two fouls. First possession gets trapped at half court. Barry steals it. He goes and fouls Barry. Can't do that. Third foul, awful. He's in the game, literally, Gus, for 15 seconds. Justin Jackson with the perfect Justin Jackson-like floater to cut it to 30-26. UNC only down four. Finally, Dorsey scores. He has four free throws with three minutes left. Hicks with a massive slam cuts the deficit to four. Brooks makes a nice shot over Justin Jackson, which is his first impressive play all game. Dorsey makes two more free throws. And then Nate Britt hits a three, the unexpected Nate Britt three. Uh, to make it a one-point Oregon lead, which the Tar Heels take back in a second on a Kennedy-Meeks layup. Jackson hits a floater from the other side and puts North Carolina up 39-36, which is where it is at halftime. We'll give UNC this round 10-9, but on the scorecards, Gus, even though they're losing, Oregon is up 49-48. What do you think? 
I agree with the scoring on the uh, fight cards, but I also agree with the scoring on the scoreboard as well. It just seemed like it was a really oddly played first half. Uh, you, you you got like this uh, you got this red herring from Joel Berry the second on his first made three, and then he kind of played like garbage the rest of the first half. To be perfectly honest. And then Brooks has just kind of been like junking it up the whole entire first half. So you ha- came into this game with these expectations of these star players doing star-like things, and their star-like qualities were not showing at all. In fact, they were really dull, to be honest. They were really average. Also, if Jordan Bell was going to keep playing this way and stay out of foul trouble against the UNC Bigs, you had to feel good if you were an Oregon fan Absolutely. coming into it. I mean, that's exactly the prescription that you needed to follow if you were an Oregon Duck fan and you wanted to go ahead and pull this like mini upset, not a huge upset, but mini upset over UNC is that Jordan Bell had to stay out of foul trouble to be able to compete with UNC's bigs. Totally agree. It's been a bizarre half. Dorsey had to manufacture points. Brooks was turned the ball over left and right. Jackson played well. Berry did not. And Bell is out of foul trouble. Just very disjointed. The thing that bothered me the most, Gus, to be honest, was Peyton Pritchard's three fouls, I have to tell you. Everything else I thought they could overcome or was even out, but that one really, really bothered me. (laughs) Round six. Dylan in starts by going to the basket. He looks like the best scorer for Oregon in this game. Meeks with a tip in. Shocker. Oregon zone is not keeping them off the boards, Gus. There's no box-out responsibilities in the zone. I understand why Dana Allman went to it. It makes a lot of sense to keep the players protected, but Meeks is killing them inside. No one is boxing him out. Meeks has scored 18 points at this point. The entire rest of Carolina's team has 25. Justin Jackson with a three-off transition puts North Carolina up eight. Timeout Oregon. Then Dorsey hits a massive three coming out of that timeout to cut the lead to 46-41, and that got him going. Brooks passes up a wide-open three. Bell got the ball inside, Gus. They're making a run here. Dorsey had just made a three. He dumps it out in the corner to Brooks, who's wide open. Brooks passes up a shot again. Bizarre. Anderson Hunt, 91. We can get into it later. To to Dorsey, who was not ready. Even though he was hot, he was not ready because Brooks was that open. He misses. Under 16 timeout. It's 48-41. UNC's up seven. We will score this round 10-9 Carolina. In round seven, Bell finally steals and fronts the post a little bit on Meeks. He because this UNC offense is so predictable, and you know they're going to pass it into the into the post. You would expect more teams to do this. Bell finally got the upper hand here. Okay, so Innis misses another three. Lots of Dylan Innis tonight. Maybe a little bit too much. Maybe he's pulling like a J.P. Mercura from Xavier where he's just doing a little too much from the ball uh, for his own liking and just give the ball to Brooks or Dorsey or in this case Blewett. Uh, Dorsey attacks the basket, finding ways to score. Oregon is now 12 of 14 from the free throw line. UNC is 8 of 8. Both teams shooting it really solid from the line. Justin Jackson hits another three and then another three in transition. Justin Jackson really playing like an All-American totally outclassing Brooks at this point on the playing floor. Jackson has 18 points and is four of seven from three-point range. And after a Jackson steal and two more free throws, UNC goes up 56-49 to at the under-12 timeout. With that Jackson flurry, we have to give that round to UNC 10-9. On to round eight. Round eight, Dorsey with another deep three for the top of the key that cuts the lead to four with 11 minutes left. 
Pinson then hits an open three. First it was Britt, now it's Pinson. Jackson with another steal, and he scores. Innes scores again. Dylan Innes is averaging 8.5 points per game in this tournament and already has 16 with 10 minutes left to go in the game. Dylan Brooks with a stupid hand check, 30 feet from the basket for foul three. And this is what I'm saying, Gus, just made absolutely no sense what he's doing. It was ridiculous. I haven't seen Dylan Brooks give hand checks. Has Dylan Brooks even played defense? And all of a sudden he's given a hand check with 10 minutes left, his third foul, so he's got to come off the floor. Barry misses another long three, but yet another offensive rebound. UNC goes up 10, 66-56. There's 7.48 left, Gus. UNC wins this round 10-9. Round nine. Let's just do a quick stat check for everybody, shall we? Carolina has six second-chance points to just four for Oregon. Oregon has 15 turnovers, and UNC has 15 assists. Dorsey to the free-throw line. More. I can't believe he's getting there that much. He's been really – he's attacking like crazy. He makes his free-throws, and this is keeping Oregon in the game. Berry misses another long three. He's definitely settling for that shot and shooting it an inch or step out every single time that he's putting it up. UNC has been to the foul line uh, foul line bonus for a while, but only Dorsey is attacking. Innes and Pritchard miss back-to-back threes, both of them pretty deep, but Oregon was working on the defensive end, and Carolina is up five at this critical point. Oregon is trying to lob the ball into Bell. It goes off of his hands, off the backboard. Then UNC is fouled. UNC is up 72-67 with 3.45 left. And we score that because of, of Oregon's miscues. We'll score that one. UNC 10, Oregon 9. So here we go to round 10, the final stanza. Dorsey makes more free throws. Oregon is now 25 of 28 from the free throw line. UNC 17-19. Brooks misses a deep three. North Carolina then comes back and scores. They're up 74-69. to Carolina now starts using the clock with about two minutes left, and maybe they used it too much. Mm. Big block by Bell inside. Oregon goes on the break, and they get blocked right back. Brooks goes for a jump ball, which is a stupid move. He tries to get a jump ball and tie up Berry with about 140 left, and he fouls out of the game with a minute 40 left. Really bizarre decision. A lot of time left on the clock, still plenty of game. You can't go for it there. Oregon and Carolina go back and forth. So it's 76-71, and then 77-71 on two Theo Pinson made free throws with about 57 seconds left after Benson misses a three. You think the game's over. I think it's over. Oregon's down six. Brooks isn't on the court. They come back in. Dorsey misses a three. Pritchard gets the rebound. Bell kicks it back out to Dorsey, who makes a three that hits the rim, bounces around, and rolls in. 77-74, Oregon only down three. Timeout, 46 seconds left. They come down. Pinson misses a jumper, and this is where, again, a questionable coaching move by Altman. They're down three. They decide to play defense, and it worked out. They get the ball back with 20 seconds left. Keith Smith makes a layup to make it 77-76. Oregon is down one. The ball gets inbounded to Kennedy Meeks. He gets fouled by Tyler Dorsey, Gus, and this is where the fun begins. Meeks misses two free throws. So there's about 5.8 seconds left. Oregon just needs to secure the rebound on the free throw, and they have a chance to not only tie because they're only down one, but win the game and go to the finals. 
they don't get the rebound. Bell did not block out. He gave that arm check. He was surprised that somebody was going to be with him. Meeks uh, pins and back taps it on him, goes all the way back, but they foul right away again. And now Joel Berry goes to the line. And what is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen? North Carolina, who had shot free throws pretty well. Not only did Meeks, Meeks miss two, Gus, but Berry misses two. This time, Bell wants to make sure he gets the block out, so he pushes hard into Meeks, who does the old step around to the baseline move, and he back taps it again. Unbelievably shocking ending. Game over. 77-76. UNC wins. On our scorecards, it's 97-95. UNC wins a nail-biter. Gus, that ending is going to stay with them for quite some time. You couldn't script that ending if you were like, you know, penning a book or like trying to write a, a, a script for a movie. Like you couldn't, you like you wouldn't say like, oh, and and a great, you know, the number one ranked team in the country or the number one seed in this particular region just went ahead and missed four three so three fro- free throws at the end, and then they went ahead and back tapped a couple. Like there's no way that you could script that. So like the the drama that went into that that you know the final sub ten seconds of this game was absolutely. Uh, remarkable and unpredictable um but at the same point you felt like at all of those moments like oh you felt like oh north carolina is going to put this away here oh wait a second oh wait here's another shot oh wait joel berry's going to the line oh it's over forget about it. oh wait a second so there was like all of this like secondary and, and and ancillary drama that didn't seem to need to be there but it was there for us the viewers so i think we win again the odd thing gus is it's a shame because jordan bell has been so dominant he was the mvp of the midwest region i'm gonna tell you what went through his mind there's no doubt in my mind i've watched it like 10 times now first Mm -hmm. off he did not think meeks would miss two free throws so first off he expected that shot to go directly in the basket secondly he did not think anyone because he's jordan bell would somehow be able to come over his back he had a lot of confidence in his jumping ability third theo pinson had been injured all year hustle guy hard worker jumped up and bell was shocked and then on the second one he was so worried about blocking out he stepped up into the lane and meeks was really smart so you know what give the north carolina players credit pinson did not give up and assume Meeks would make it. Meeks did not hang his head after that, and he slipped around and tapped it back. Smart job all around. It was a devastating loss for Oregon because you just want to see him get a shot off, right? I mean, you want to see him try a shot here, and if they miss it, they miss it. But Yeah. Uh, you want you want to see it in Dorsey's hands and give him a chance to win it, right? Or, or, or at least tie it if they're down three. What's amazing, Gus, is imagine if I told you these stats before the game started. And you got this one right. I had the, uh, the South Carolina cover. You had the Oregon cover. So we went one and one but you did nail this one here. Listen to this one. If I told you, I gave you that stat, right? Bell had two two fouls. Joel Berry had 11 points. That's 13. If you told me, I said it was under 15. I said they're definitely covering and they're probably going to win. They did not win. Here's another one. If I told you that Oregon had 43 rebounds and UNC had 43 rebounds, they were even with the rebounds. Would you expect them to win? Of course you would. Yeah. Go even further. Go for... um, Field goal percentage, 37.9 for Oregon, only 36.8 for North Carolina. Uh, Oregon, seven threes. North Carolina, eight threes. Any way you want to look at it, this should have been an Oregon win. And if they had that last shot, who knows what would have happened. But 77-76, Carolina moves on, my friend. And we got Carolina and Gonzaga. What a national championship game. It's going to be great. I'm so looking forward to Monday night. Uh one more thought on uh, the second game from Saturday. 
if you're Oregon and your All-American is going to play that ordinary and you still have a chance to win the game in the final 10 seconds of the game, that, that's pretty remarkable too. Definitely. I, kudos to you know Dorsey and Ennis for stepping up, uh, Bell for doing his thing. Kudos to uh, the coaching staff for having their team ready in that position. But yeah, I agree. It just seemed very odd. Dylan Brooks seemed very out of sorts. Uh, maybe there's another factor hanging over their heads, which um, you know may or may not have been happening, uh, according to a couple of reports out there of uh, some further drama that might be surrounding the Oregon team. But you, you just don't know. You, you, I think this is similar to like Barry's injury. You just want to see like both teams have everything in place that they've had all year, so they're able to go ahead and compete on a level playing field like you don't want to see anything get in the way of that experience for either one of those programs or either one of those teams but i you know what north carolina so impressive they're they're really able to rely on that uh on their offensive rebounding on their non-reliance of the three and i can't believe they made it back to back championship games that that in itself is unbelievably impressive And now it's time, my friend. We started this podcast in October, and it's time for us to make our national championship game picks. I think the proper move is I will go first, and you should get last licks. You have nailed this Gonzaga team. The viewers are going to want, the listeners are going to want to hear what you think. They're going to want to hear who you're going with. So I will lead this one off. I'll start us off, and then you can be the anchor, my friend, the way it should be. So here we go. Give me a little Vince DiCola and war. And here we go. Folks, it comes down to this. The 37-1 Gonzaga Bulldogs and the 32-7 North Carolina Tar Heels. These are the two best teams in college basketball in the 2017 season, and they're going to face off in what should be an epic national championship game. We have North Carolina favored by one and a half over Gonzaga. Both teams come into this game with question marks. Gonzaga's dominating the WCC this year, but they really haven't played many big teams. They beat an Iowa State team early. They beat Arizona without Trier, without uh, Parker Cartwright. They beat a Florida team by one, and then they crushed St. Mary's three times. And they've gone into the NCAA tournament, and quite frankly, they've been up and down. They've survived. They beat South Dakota State, but pulled away late. They gave up a huge lead to Northwestern. They arguably should have lost to West Virginia or really had a struggle with West Virginia. Then they crushed Xavier. And in this game, they gave up a big lead to South Carolina. So they really haven't dominated from start to finish. The problem is neither has North Carolina. North Carolina should have lost in a lot of ways to Arkansas in a game where we were positive they were going to blow them out because it was similar styles. They have lost seven times this year. Joel Berry is definitely not 100%. And they are one of the few teams, Gonzaga, that can match North Carolina up front with the big guys. North Carolina is here after a bitter defeat last season. They're a great team from top to bottom. They went into the final game after Marcus Page made that incredible shot. As he's yelling to his team, if we just get to overtime, we're going to win. But it never happened because Chris Jenkins, 28-foot shot at the buzzer, and they've been crushed. 
The problem is Gonzaga can't doesn't have to win this game. They've had a phenomenal season. UNC must win this game or their season will be a disappointment. A lot of pressure on Old Roy also. Dean Smith, his mentor, has two titles at North Carolina. This could be Roy's third. So the pressure is squarely on North Carolina. Certainly the question about Joel Berry being 100% is going to be an issue. He is not 100% in any way, shape, or form. And you look at the line, folks, and it's North Carolina by one and a half, which is a pointless line. Because you're not going to pick the game and say, oh, I think Gonzaga will lose by one. You're picking the team that you think is going to win. And that's what I have to do here. It is difficult for me to see North Carolina losing this game. Gonzaga has the chemistry. Gonzaga has the bigs. The bench has played well. Fuse a superb coach. They have the moxie. They have the special moment going. I just can't see North Carolina coming back to this game and losing. Not after what happened last year. I think they're going to battle up front. I think they're going to put Pinson on Nigel Williams-Goss, and he will be limited at least to a certain extent. I don't know if the supporting cast, Josh Perkins hasn't really scored that much. I don't know if those guys are ready to step up. I think Carolina will get them up and down in transition. I think Barry, another day and a half of rest, is going to help him to a certain extent. I think Luke May could come in and do some things off the bench. I do not think it will be a big win because I think Gonzaga is mighty. But I am going to take North Carolina and give the one and a half. I picked them at the beginning of the tournament to be the national champions. I thought they were playing Arizona in this game, and I think they are still going to win it. I will stick with them on this time. I am not going with take lock. I think North Carolina is the better team from start to finish, from top to bottom. I think Gonzaga is playing with house money at this point. I think they have not been tested as much as North Carolina has in this tournament, playing a very tough Kentucky team and a very tough Oregon team. I like Gonzaga. I just don't think they can do it against a team like this. Give me a three, four, five-point win somewhere in there for North Carolina. Vengeance is a huge motivating factor. Old Roy's going to have him ready. Give me North Carolina minus one and a half in what is an epic close game on Monday night for the 2017 National Championship. Okay, listeners, we're just going to take a quick look at the trends in basketball. We're going to look at the NBA. We're going to look at college. Teams shoot more threes than ever. Teams run out, small ball lineups all over the place. The term stretch four is now normal. Coaches all around the world are scrambling to find more paths to score more points. So the Loyola Marymount and all of us loves this, right? We love this endless search for scoring more points. Here is the one big difference for what's happening currently in basketball and what has happened in the past in basketball. Those teams, the Nuggets under Doug Moe and those Suns teams with Nash and those Loyola Marymount teams, all outworked their tails, all outworked their, their opponents and worked their tails off to outscore you. These teams today are just jacking up more threes more often from further away. The difference is pretty noticeable. So I'm just going to bring this full circle and bring it right back to, to Monday night's championship game. We chatted about this with John Gassaway earlier this season, and he talked about the value of shooting good twos. Look at both UNC and last year's champ, Villanova. They both shot their threes at an unbelievably high level. Let's go back even a year further with Duke and Okafor and Winslow and and Wisconsin and, and Decker and Kaminsky and Hayes. 
Sure, they all shot the three well, but neither team was overly reliant on it as a game-changing weapon. And let's go back just another year. Yeah, that was the year that Wichita came into the tournament undefeated. You want to know what they shot from three? 37%. Yeah, Baker and Van Vliet shot threes, but neither one of them shot it over 40%. So let's bring it back to 2017. What are we even talking about here? We're talking about UNC and Gonzaga. Both of these teams do not rely on the three to win a game. Do they shoot it? Oh, yeah, sure. Joel Berry can launch it. Jordan Matthews can shoot it, about 40%. But Gonzaga shoots almost 51% overall from the field. UNC shoots it at 47% from the field while leading the nation in offensive rebounding. That means more twos. Both teams feature bigs over and over again on both sides of the floor, offensively and defensively. Gonzaga's O starts with their bigs inside, and they make decisions off of your post defense and then pick you apart. Don't double them. Their bigs will do their thing. Shem, Williams, Collins, Tilly, they're all sound. Their footwork's solid. They don't panic. You double them. They catch. They view. They pivot. They pass out to the open wing. They pass out to Matthews and Nigel Williams-Goss and Perkins. And we saw what Melson did this past game with his three threes. Let them operate in space that initial double team created. Then they are ready to offensive rebound like UNC due to your poor defensive rotations and your double teams. Let's take a look at UNC. They always feature their bigs every year. We've talked about their secondary break on the podcast all season. They are the best offensive rebounding team in the nation, and they always have two bigs on the floor at all times. Some combination of Hicks and Meeks and Bradley and even May. And they force you to adjust on defense. These two teams are made for one another. They are made for Monday night. They are made for the national championship game. They have skilled bigs. They have all Americans on the wing. We get exactly what we hoped for all season in this game. Two of the best teams in the nation dueling it out for the title. Old-fashioned basketball, the way it's supposed to be played. This game is going to be close with about four minutes left due to the efficiency of both teams so close to the basket with them shooting efficient twos and giving the ball to their skilled bigs and then kicking it out to their skilled wings to complement that size. Here are the two factors that are going to make the difference in this particular game. One, I hate saying this because I've been on the Joel Berry bandwagon all season. Love him as a player, love him as a person. I think he's an unbelievable student athlete. But he will not have all week to rest those ankles. And they will limit him on Monday. Second part, the place that they're going to limit him is not going to be him scoring. He'll put up double digits. I guarantee you he guts his way to a double-digit scoring performance in a championship game. There is no denying Joel Berry's heart and no denying his effort. The place where it's going to limit him is on the defensive end. Nigel Williams-Goss, Perk, Matthews will get a few more open looks or maybe that extra split second on that kick-out three. Now that Berry is limited a little bit defensively and it's going to be a little slower getting out due to those ankles. Those Zags guards are going to let out a sigh of relief after getting out of that shoving match that they just experienced with South Carolina, and that will be the difference. All the bigs will do their thing, and maybe Collins shows out again and has like another million-dollar type game like he did last game where he's going to earn himself a lottery pick in this year's NBA draft, or maybe Bradley takes his turn to show out the nation that he's for real. Those bigs will not be shortchanged. All of them will play well, including Shemek. 
including Hicks. Justin Jackson is going to need to play out of his head for UNC to win this game. Feeling like some of those floaters might be a little bit more contested inside with uh, Gonzaga's length? I am. I think he's going to be closer to 16 points, not 32 points. And if you're looking for an X-factor in this game, give me Perkins. After going scoreless in the South Carolina win, but, you know, making the most important foul in Gonzaga's history by fouling Thornwell uh, on that uh, three-point, before he got off that three-point attempt, Perk strikes back with a double-digit scoring game, hitting a couple threes, maybe one off a turnover and one off a double team, and he hits a few foul shots late to help seal the win for the Zags. Give me the points for sure here, and give me the win for Gonzaga, winning its first title in program history. Look, this UNC team is going to go down as the Buffalo Bills team did with Jim Kelly. Great for such a long time, but just coming up short twice. Alpha undefeated Pi may have closed its door after the BYU win, but Mark Few is going to pick the lock with one of those fishing lures he has, and the Zags are going to celebrate the title, and Big Shem is going to fire up the grill one more time in this 2017 season. So please, please give me the Zags for the win. Your 2017 national championship team is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Well, there you have it. Wow. I can't wait for the game, Gus. It's amazing. And, and you know, it's there's so many strong arguments on both sides, right? So everything you right. just said about Gonzaga is totally true, and it makes sense. And the, the, the mojo, the feel, everything from start to finish has been Gonzaga. I, I just keep hearing that stat. Seven teams since 1985 have entered the Final Four with 0-1 loss, mm-hmm. and none of them have won it. And you know Kentucky got really close with uh, with with Douglas Roberts and Rose, and then the you know the the Bill Self wiping the brow through <laughs> three, three. Right, right, but right. This, that Memphis team. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. But this could be it. This could be it for Gonzaga. I I, I hear what you're saying. That's what it's going to come down to. Is Gonzaga really the real deal? And they are the real deal already. But can they really battle with a top echelon five star across the board team, or? Is UNC's motivation from last year just too great? That's what's going to determine it. It's going to be a classic. What else do you want for storylines going into your national championship game? You have the, the the Cinderella that basically invented the term Cinderella of Gonzaga, but who is now a national powerhouse going up against one of the most storied programs in college basketball history and one of the biggest brands in all of you know American sports in the North Carolina Tar Heels. And a team that got denied a national championship opportunity last year off of one of the most iconic shots in the sports history. Like there are so many unbelievably intriguing storylines coming into this game. I don't think as a viewer or as a fan you could ask for anything more. It's going to be great. And I I can't wait. So there you go, folks. Those are our predictions. We gave you the rundown, the the 10-round fights. 
And this is it, my friend. And folks, we are not going away. So after this, we'll come back to you. We'll give you a rundown of the game and break it down. And we'll sort of give you a little summary of what we're doing here in the off season. Again, we've talked about how great this is. We can't thank you enough for the support. But Screen the Screener is growing, and we're growing really quickly. So we're setting up. We're going to have a lot of stuff in the off season: NBA draft, position-by-position breakdowns, interviews, coaches, previews. We're going year-round, folks. And next year is really going to be a great year for us. So we thank you. Enjoy the game. Grab a beverage. Gus, my friend, it's been a pleasure. I have no idea what's going to happen on Monday night. Uh, it's going to be great. I can't wait to sit down with the rest of our listeners and just do the exact same thing that they're doing and just enjoy the game for what it is and, and, and view the student athletes do their thing. We're so looking forward to it. There we go. little One Shining Moment again coming in. We have the composer of One Shining Moment favoriting us. Why wouldn't we bring it in? There we go. We'll see you, folks. Monday night, One Shining Moment. It's going to be the Zags or Old Roy. Shooting star and all the years. No.